Hello and welcome to the very first official Manchester United podcast episode with me, Sam Homewood. I'm joined by my co-host Helen Evans, who is a fellow MUTV presenter and such a massive United fan that she decided to marry one of the players. Thank you, Sam. And completing our holy trinity is our very own superstar, David May. How are you, Maisie? All good. Have you listened to many podcasts before? I have, yes. Uh, I quite like the true stories and the, the comedy side of it all, so... Mm-hmm. With this, you'll hear plenty more. Nice. Helen, you you a fan of a podcast? Um, I have to admit, I've only ever listened to one podcast, which was called Serial. <laughs> it wasn't about breakfast. It was about a murder trial. So, yeah, that's the Lovely. only podcast I've ever listened to. Sounds so good. <laughs> well, this will but be different. But you know what? This will be the start of me listening to podcasts. Yeah, this will be different. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with a two-parter. Um, Maisie, this one, I guess, was special for you because we're back to the cliff. Yeah, probably... 15 years since I was last there. And uh, so much as it's not changed, it's uh, a little bit run down now. But great to see Rob all there. Some great stories. There really are some top, top stories. Yeah, from both of you, to be fair. Yeah, we've got some good stories to tell in the dressing room, in the canteens, in the boot rooms. Yeah, we will be releasing a two-parter for this launch this week and then we'll bring you one episode each week from then on. So, of course, that will be starting with Brian Robson. In fact, we have met some great guests so far along the way, Sam, on the podcast, haven't we, and some great stories. Yeah, I feel like a competition winner. Well, actually, you feel like one and you look like one. Well done. <laughs> Thank you, Maisie. It's great to have on board. I just sort of running around talking to these people that were like my heroes and Helen, I, I guess, being managed to Johnny, you sort of know all these people, or some of them personally anyway. I just sort of sit there going, oh, look, I'm not going to say names because they'll spoil it. But, oh, that's that guy. Oh, probably had posters of some of these people in my bedroom. Not a joke. Probably did. I think what it is in the podcast, people are very relaxed and they've been telling us some stories that we haven't heard before, particularly people like you, Maisie, who obviously got a bit emotional in yours and told stories that you'd yeah, maybe to never be, said To be before. truthful, Helen, that story I've never told anybody. So it is quite new to, to telling my, my career, finishing at United and where we ended up that night. We'll say no more. We'll wait for the podcast. So let's get into it. We recorded this chat with Brian Robson in September this year at Manchester United's former training ground, the Cliff. Robbo started his career at West Brom before being signed by Ron Atkinson for a then record fee of £1.5 million in October 1981. I wonder how much he would be worth now. He went on to captain the club and England, where he was capped 90 times. Brian picked up plenty of team and individual honours in his 13 years at Old Trafford, including Sir Alex Ferguson's first Premier League title in 1993. He is a true legend of this club and an honour to be guided around the cliff by him indeed. Let's hear part one of this chat now. We'll be back for some full-time thoughts at the end. We're in the car park of the cliff with today's guest, Brian Robson. He's with Maisie. They've both been here before. Helen, you've been here before? I've only been here once, actually, in nine years. Perfect. So we're going to get a tour from these guys. We'll start with the car park. Robbo, where did you park? I was not bad because I used to park sort of one of those three because I used to drop the kids off at school. And I would be one of the first at the train ground because I just came straight here. I didn't go back home. But this hasn't changed at all. Car park's exactly the same size as what it was. You know, no fence in here because fans used to be able to come in and just stand on the embankment there, watch training. The old toilet's still there. Um, so yeah, it's not glamorous, is it? No. It's not. No, it no. was never glamorous. <laughs> it must have been a big change for you, Maisie. You obviously didn't make the transition to Carrington, Brian, but you did during that time. It must have been did, so yeah, different I, going I, there. I still spent five years there, so as Rob said, it's it's never changed. I was, I was just over there, and then we all got designated car park spaces, but... I always remember parking in that spot and there used to be a sign on the wall, AF, Alex Ferguson. And I parked there thinking, oh, that's all right, right next to the, right next to the front door. <laughs> Not knowing that oh, it's a gaffer's spot. What did you think well, the AF meant? That, 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 was, no. <laughs> that was the only thing. That was down, down that side, that was for staff. Mm-hmm. So no, none of the players could park down that, that down that side. I didn't know well, that. How long did you park there for before well, someone? 25 minutes. Oh, right. And then uh, Errol said he's parked there. And then Harold used to be the guy who used to look after the car park and everything else. But, yeah. Maisie's a bit like that when he goes playing golf. He just parks in the chairman's spot going, oh, I didn't see that sign. <laughs> Captains. So a lot of newspapers now run most of their stories just based on taking pictures and publishing them of players turning up to training in flashy cars. Was it like that here? Well, you've got to remember I joined in the early 80s. Um, and so none of the lads really had flash cars then, unless you call uh, 
a Granada Ford, uh, a flash car at that time. I mean, it was a decent car. Uh, but when I was at West Brom and Ronnie Allen, the manager at the time, he called me into his office and he went, you can go up and you can speak to Manchester United. And I went, oh, thanks very much, Gaffer, and everything. Went to walk out of the office and he went, hey, where are you going? I says, well, I thought you'd just said I'd go and talk to Man United. He went, yeah, he says, what are you doing with the keys? So I had to leave the, my car keys because it was a club car. And I had to leave it. So Make your own way there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was one of them. So when I came here, I didn't have a car anyway. <laughs> uh, but then... Uh, Danny McGregor, the old commercial manager, he uh, sorted out uh, a Granada Ford. So I think that was probably about the flashiest car any of the boys had in them days. Yeah, pretty much the same. Big Pete had a big 500 SCL Merc. Um, and then I think I think Bex probably was the first one to come in with a Porsche. And it was like, wow. Were you all having a go or not? Getting in the night? I remember, I tell you, I, I, I had a Subaru, Subaru Impreza. I loved it. And then Giggsy went out and got the top of the range, 22B, whatever it was. And then me, Scolzi and Butty doing pre-season, uh, Butty nicked the keys. So we ended up shooting up Littleton Road up here like a bat out of hell. And honestly, God, there's a, quite a sharp turn at the top and I'm thinking, it'd be all right. It's a Subaru. Honestly, God, how on earth we didn't write that car off? <laughs> we must be doing 90 mile an hour up, the, up Littleton Road. Um, but obviously, Butty being Butty, you know, he couldn't take it slow, but... But, but he was, he was a horrendous driver, wasn't he? There was one year when he just passed his test. I think he must have crashed the car about six times, like within a couple of months, and you're going, uh, you know, you're not supposed to smash into people. Like, you know. <laughs> Could have been any worse than Andre. Andre was absolutely horrendous. He got so many car park tickets that he just parked anywhere, Andre. What I find amazing is whenever you come in here, it's so open, isn't it? And when you go all modern training grounds, you know, they're all closed off to the public. You do see some fans waiting for autographs and that kind of thing. But as you say, people just come in and watch training. I just find it amazing. So even if it was closed off in the gates, you can still see. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But that was what you were used to. If they ever close the gates, they just go on fencing. Yeah. Over the back of the stands and just watch training or... You know, if something was happening, maybe the Eric incident in 95, 96, the big guys on stepladders looking over the wall. It was mental. So for those that have never been, there's obviously there's houses that look over. I mean, people could be watching us. Yeah. When, when I first came here, uh, I mean, at West Brom, open training ground as well, uh, but none of the fans used to come up. But here you used to have sort of 30, 50 people, the same people, and that was their life, coming to watch us train every morning. The same people would be there. They ask you for a photo every day, ask you for an autograph every day. Uh, but that was more or less their lives. But then all of a sudden, it changed, and I think that's what changed. When Giggsy and Sharpie came into the first team, and then it sort of got this charisma around them two, uh, all of a sudden there'd be like a thousand, two thousand people and that's when Salix then decided that he had to control it that little bit more and people couldn't just walk in because they'd encroach onto the pitch and everything and that. But uh, So I think that's what changed things when Sharpie and Giggsy came through. Do you ever see any of those people that you used to see at the training ground? Only last week I was up at Middlesbrough uh, doing a dinner and this guy came up and when he was four... He was with his dad, and you, you could tell the building behind him, that, and it definitely was the cliff. And it was a photo of me and him when he was four. Uh, you know, So you do get people come up with the old photos. It's incredible. As lovely as this car park is, with its mismatching outfold and uh, brown leaves scattered all over the place, should we head inside? Sure. Let's have a little Great. look. Do you want to lead the way, guys? Because, I mean, Helen and I don't really know where we're going. No. So is this the main door? Maybe we're going in now yeah, on the Yeah, this has always been the main door to the left here. Get the door. There we go. Security. Go on, Alan. Thank you. See them, there's two of you. <laughs> yeah, so th this has always been a little reception area here where if people have got meetings, they, they would have to sit in here and wait. And when the gaffer was doing uh, media, they would all have to sit in here and wait until the boss was ready for them. Then it's where it first started off signing balls and everything like that, shirts and stuff. You know, you'd have to come in and Harold would be there and you you can go down to his changing rooms until you've signed all the balls. Been in here three seconds, I've just walked through a spider's web. It smells musty, doesn't it? It's like being in an old school. What does it feel like being back in here? 
Uh, well, I was only in here about five minutes ago, so it feels quite <laughs> the norm now. But actually, when I did actually walk in, it, it did bring back so many memories, you know, walking down to the, into the changing rooms, going, wow, this is like, it's exactly the same. Nothing's changed. And um, it just brings back so many memories, it does. Is it like that for you, Robo? Yeah, that, because like Dave says, it, it's not really changed at all. And when you think, uh, as far as I know, when Sir Bobby and George Best, Dennis Law, Paddy Crow, and all these sort of people trained here um, and came through, I don't think it's really changed from when they were actually training here as well. It'd be quite, it'd be really interesting to see, you know, the, the people who have walked through that door. Okay, so where does this lead to? Well, I've got to say this. This is so funny. This, this is where we were all hiding, and we all stood at the top of the steps here. And Giggsy, he just got in the first team and he'd played about 10 games. He come in this one morning and like I go to him, Giggsy, I think you deserve a club car now. You've been in the team long enough. Go and see the gaffer. Do you think so, Robert? Do you think so? And I'm going, yeah. And so anyway, Giggsy gets changed and everything, gets his gear on, comes up these steps, goes into the gaffer's office. Well, Osinci and Brucey and all them schmikes. We're all like this, and the next minute you hear, get out of my office! <laughs> 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 Giggsy comes out, he's going, you <laughs> 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 That's That's brilliant. Where was the manager's office? So, yeah, we walked up here, and then just round to the left here, this was the gaffer's office with its own little ensuite. Nice. There's a real smell in here, oh isn't there? Oh, my goodness. He's got a bath. Is, yeah, but did, I mean... Did you ever see him in the bath? No. Uh, the only person I ever saw in the bath was Ron Atkinson. And would he use yeah. it? Oh, yeah, Ron, big Ron did, yeah. But, I mean, when you think that this was Sir Matt Busby's office first, then you had Ron Atkinson. Ron used to have a sunbed across here. <laughs> I actually never knew whether that story was true, but it is. No, no, that was true because that door would be locked and you could be knocking on it saying, Gaffer, can I have a word for a bit? And he was slotting his no coins chance. in. <laughs> yeah, he was under the sunbed. <laughs> What's that like as a player to know that's what he's doing? Didn't really bother us. I mean, I mean, he'd be doing that after training and all that when he's got a bit of spare time to himself. But Big Ron always loved the sun. You know, he loved to have a bit of a tan. Uh, which you can't, doesn't, you don't get it easy in England, do you? But, uh, <laughs> do you remember the first time you were in here? N- no, I don't really remember the first time. I mean, I, I got me first rollicking off the bus in, in this room because he had a few letters saying that I'd been out on the town with Whiteside and McGrath <laughs> and he wanted to see me. He got me in here and he just said, look, he says, I'm getting too many letters about you lot going out drinking. He says, from now on, he says, I don't mind you having a few drinks at the weekend. He says, but I don't want you drinking in the week. So, and, yeah, okay, boss, if that's what you want, you know, that's what you'll get. But I think that's why Paul and Norm had to move on because they kept drinking in the week, <laughs> <laughs> which I, where I behaved myself a little bit. <laughs> you said that you heard Giggsy getting told off. Like, I'm sure it's not very soundproof. I'm sure you heard a lot of people through that door, did you? Yeah. Is everything so close together here? Yeah, as you say, you know, there's only the kitchen through that wall. So, you know, any, any things that are going on, you, you just know. You just sit there as quiet as you can, just just waiting for him to finish. And yeah, nod, agree, whatever, whatever yeah, he says. You're right. Yeah, you're right. And then, you know, off you, off you, off you toddle, like, get out and uh, get on with the rest of the day. Uh, did you hear the one about Incy in here? Uh, it's so funny. The gaffer had touring Inzi like uh, the weekend about his performance and all that so Inzi went up and he's going I'm going to get the gaffer I'm going to get the gaffer so uh, anyway the gaffer always came in here and then he'd go into the coaches room have the meeting with uh, the coaches uh, and then he'd come back in his office so Inzi brings a pellet gun in and he goes in into here and Inzi reckons he was like he'd got the door there and he waits for the boss to go and sit, sit down. And he comes out and he just points the gun and the guy was gone. Ah, 
And then she comes out with a pellet gun as if he's going to shoot him. So the guy, he said, he, the guy ran around the desk and then she's trying to get out the door and he's went banging, smacked him across the back of the head. Oh my word, that was absolutely brilliant. And then he left a couple of weeks after. Yeah, and then he got sold. <laughs> drinking. Was this always the setup? Because as it is, as you come in, We've got one wall is just glass looking over the pitch. The desk is in the corner. Then there's this ensuite with a toilet and the bath sink, a shaver socket and a bucket catching drips. Was the desk always here? No, no. The manager's a... desk was always across there. Looking out to the pitch yeah, or? Yeah. 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 You couldn't get, you could never get away from him. Even if he wasn't out, he'd be overlooking the pitch and, and then you'd, you'd occasionally hear the banging on the windows and you get the curly finger. So you might have to uh, explain yeah. that one for us, Maisie. Well, you know, he'd just be, you know, he'd be sat in his desk here and he'd be overlooking the pitch. And the next minute he'd be like, you, my office, now. You're like, mm, f- fair enough. And then you come in here, then you tail between your legs and they give you what for. What would that have been for on, uh, on the training pitch? It could be anything. Maybe not on the, you know, if, he's, if you're messing about or... Um, kicking balls away, just general misbehaviour. Do you remember your first time in here? No, I don't know, but I have been in a few times <laughs> on the wrong side of being in the newspapers and stuff. Who was in here the most, would you say, in your time? Probably Bex and Giggsy, probably. What about you, Brian? I, I suppose McGrath. <laughs> 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 yeah, when I first got big, big Paul was always in trouble with the gaffer. Ron Atkinson used to do the same, though. Big Ron would uh, be doing office work. We would be getting on with the warm-up. Um, so that would be 20 minutes, half an hour after you've done the boxes and you warm-up. And then Ron would do exactly the same, like you'd be looking out the window, seeing if anybody's mucking about. And then he'd just smash on the window if uh, if he wanted anybody up. Uh, but then Ron was a bit different to the gaffer because... Salix used to stand and watch. Ron would come down and join in the training. <laughs> he used to think he was a player. They're not even double glazed windows, those either, are they? No, I really no. thought Mason was going to put his hand through it. They, they are definitely not. No. But in saying that, I never saw one broke. No. no. It, That's a good sign. Even by it? the balls and that. I was uh, going to say, yeah, he used to smash balls at the windows as well. What, you would? Yeah. Just, Alex was how did that here? go? No, not for the gaffer, no. God, no. No. When, when I got a for being in the newspapers for something that I never did. Um, I came and shitting myself thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get the biggest in the gaffer. And I walked in probably about nine o'clock in the morning. I spoke to Kiddo the day before because I knew that he was coming out and he said, just go in and see the gaffer early on. So I did. And um, I said, I'm not sure if you've seen the newspapers. He said, no, I haven't. I don't read them. So I had to tell him the full story of what was in the newspaper. He had seen it though, hadn't he? He was just saying that yeah. to make you say Yeah. So he did. He, he, yeah. he, been he, knew, he knew all about it. Um, so he said, no, I'll explain what's going on. What was the story? I, I ended up in a fight somewhere in, in, in Rochdale. I'd been out on a Sunday. So we played Leeds on the Sunday. Beaten 4-0. Eric missed a penalty. And uh, came on, went out with my mates, brothers. Ended up in a pub and kicked off. Next week after, then it was in the newspapers. So actually, you were in the fight. It certainly sounds like, <laughs> well, doesn't it? You no, don't need no, to lie just because you're in here. Maybe no, were you in the fight actually, or not? I weren't actually in the fight because it was just a this lad trying to provoke a fight. Mm. Right, and you know, to, and so it, you just chained them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he wasn't involved. Well, I wasn't involved, no, no. All my mates were like, yeah. No, I, I, the thing about that one as well, though, Dave, is that we're, we're talking about the gaffer sort of like having a go. That that wasn't all the time, you know. Sometimes people get carried away and you think it was just the hairdryer treatment and yeah. discipline all the time. That's impossible to keep up. You know, you've got to have a human side of where you're mellow and you have a bit of banter. And the boss always loved that side of it as well, where he'd have a bit of banter yeah. with the boys and treat them like men, you know, and that's why he got so much respect from all the players of every age group. Did you ever want to talk about non-football things? His knowledge, I, I, I don't know whether he used to just tell us lies, because yeah. like, he, he'd just come out with anything about wines, about countries, about 
cities and all this sort of thing, and he'd tell you a story about film stars and all this sort of thing. And we'd all look at each other going, is that right? Is he talking a load of bull? And you weren't sure. So, because we didn't have mobiles then where you could just check up on everything. On your encyclopedia? Yeah, but but he was. He was just a storyteller. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Well, he still is now. Yeah. Yeah. Just retains all that information because he knows everything about every player's family before they join the club as well, don't they? And he remembers everything about that. I, I saw that firsthand because when he started talking about developing like the youth system within the club again, and he wanted to be like the Busby Babes. Uh, what he did, he brought Nobby Styles and Brian Kidd back into the club, and they were going to recruit. And he had a dossier on all, even the schoolboys, what the background was, what the family were. And so as soon as they joined the club as YTS, he knew everything about the family and not just the kid. What were your thoughts when he was appointed? Because, of course, you'd been playing under Big Ron, did you know much about him? Were you worried about a new manager coming in? Well, you're always a little bit concerned uh, when a new manager... I mean, you feel a bit guilty when the manager who you're playing under uh, gets the sack because you're obviously not doing your job very well because sometimes the manager gets the blame, but sometimes the players have got to take part of that on board as well. Um, so we knew uh, a bit about Salix because Ron Atkinson had signed Gordon Strachan and then Strat was telling us about how disciplined he was with the young lads at Aberdeen, how he brought them up, how he'd find out wh- wherever they were in the city, like up at Aberdeen, if they were at nightclubs and all that, he knew everything. And so we knew that the bus was going to be like that when he first came to the club, that he's going to install discipline, he's going to try and find out everything and have his scouts around the city uh, so then he knows everything you're doing. And he was pretty good at it. <laughs> he was. So he was in a taxi, and the next minute, uh, Giggsy and Sharpie, they had ordered a taxi. He heard over the the taxi radio, Giggs and Sharp are going back, uh, but we need another couple of cars because uh, they've got a party going on in the house. And the gaffer was in this taxi, and he heard this over the radio. And so that's why he changed the taxi from not taking him home to actually going to Sharpie's house. And he threw them all out. He went in the house and he, threw, he, he told everybody to get out and then give them to a f***ing. But do you remember, I guess, did you find out about that when you turned up for training whenever the next session was and everyone was talking about it? Yeah, it was Giggsy and Sharpie because they were f***ing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, Brian, you were captain in your time here under Sir Alex as well. Did you have meetings in here with him or where would they be held? No, I mean, in, in the main, the boss would always talk to the whole squad, uh, not just myself, because I was captain. But every now and again, um, if he just wanted to readdress something, then he'd say, I, I want to have a word with you upstairs. And then we'd come up and he'd, he'd ask the mood of the lads, you know, how they were feeling, what I was thinking about as far as, you know, formations and everything of the team. Uh, so you'd have one-on-ones like that, but not very often because in the main, it's it's a team game and everybody needs to know what's going on. Uh, but the boss really, it was just how the lads were feeling really and, you know, was everybody happy? Could we change anything which uh, would help improve? Uh, so as a manager, he was always asking those sort of things when it was just with uh, myself. In terms of knowing things from him regarding upcoming games. People always talk about how he would let people know if they were or weren't in the squad. Gary Neville spoken about how he would make him feel valuable by dropping him for three games, by saying, I need you for this game in three weeks' time. Would you find out here if you were playing at the weekend? No, uh, normally not. Uh, with Ron Atkinson, we always used to find out the team sort of in the hotel or at the stadium when you're having pre-match meal. And then Sir Alex for a long time, because we didn't stay in hotels in my time, we would report to Old Trafford at 12 o'clock. You'd have a, a fair idea because of what you'd done on, you know, on the training ground of what the team was going to be. Hour and a half before the game, then we'd go into the meeting room at Old Trafford and the boss would have his team meeting and se- select the team then. Um, so that's how we operated. Nice. Maisie, if you weren't playing, would he always yeah. have... Would he always sit you down and explain why that was yeah. not happening? Even like, say, if it was um, like four games in a row? Well, at, the, at Old Trafford, as Rob said, we used to find out till the Saturday. 
and they would send either kiddo up there or Jimmy Ryan up into the dressing room. We'd be sat in the dressing rooms and um, kiddo would just pop his head around the corner and just say, Maze it, gaffer wants you. So you know then. So, okay. you, so you, your answer to that is, kiddo, just tell him I know. It's all right. <laughs> um, but the gaffer had explained. He said, look, you know, I, I'm resting you for this game. Such and such is coming up and um, this, that, the other, or whatever it is. He says, but, you know, you'll be subbing. If need be, you know, you'll get on and you'll you'll do your bit. But Is that something you took with you into management? Is that the way you like to do things then? Yeah, because the, the boss had his office opposite the dressing room uh, at Old Trafford. And, I mean, it's, it's still there now, the manager's office. And like Dave says, you know, you call a few players in, but you can't explain to everybody who's in the squad, no. you know, that they're going to be left out or you're not even on the bench or anything like that. So on... A few occasions, the boss would actually say to the lads, look, you know, I haven't got time now. I've got to concentrate on the game. But on Monday morning, if you want to come in and we'll have a chat of why you're not in the team. You know, so he'd, he'd always be man enough to, to sort of pull each player and, and say, look, this is the reason why you're not in the team. Or come in on Monday morning and we'll have a chat about it as well. So he was always good like that. He, you know where you stand then. Yeah. Either way, you knew it was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maisie, every story I've ever heard about him turning up here or for any training session would be that he would be here before every player every time. But that can't be true if you were in his space. It can't space. be true. Yeah. Maybe I just came in and the gaffer was away. Oh, he was, he was over at Old Trafford that or something. Yeah. Either, <laughs> no. But yeah, it'd be a. He'd be first day and he'd be last away most of the time. He did that right up until the end as yeah. well, always first in the gym. Yeah, he was, um, yeah, you'd come in at, I mean, I'd probably get in quarter to 10, 10 o'clock. Sparky'd be here at 25 past 10 and he'd be away for 5 to 12. Did you have to be in for half 10? Training started at half 10, yeah. So Sparky was always last in, first away. Brian, what time were you in at? Uh, I always used to get in here about quarter nine, nine o'clock. Because like I said, I used to drop the kids off at school. And then I just drive straight in. Um, made you look well lazy, amazing. And then I'm only 20 minutes away, so it's not too bad for me. <laughs> yeah, it was like a 45 minute drive uh, for me. Like that's if the traffic was uh, pretty good. Um, but then what I would do, I wouldn't just sit down in the dressing room because there's not many of the lads are in at that time. I, I'd come up, and the boss always allowed me to go in, and I'd sit with the coaches uh, next door, have a cup of tea or a coffee with the with the staff. Which was good because towards the end of my career, it was really good educational because the boss would come in, he'd explain to the staff what, what they were doing and I'd just sit in the corner and have a cup of tea. And then you listen to uh, the coaches planning what they were going to do, how they lay out and everything. And that. So it's, it was a good education to go into coaching and management. So when you come in, you used to have a little chat in there and then you went to the canteen. Should we head over that way? Okay, we've wandered along the corridor, we're in the canteen, which is nowhere near as big as I would imagine it would be for like a football team, especially I guess because there was lots of teams training here for the age groups and stuff. Just a, a few tables and chairs stacked together in a corner and it's got that same musty smell. When you look back at the history it's got, as we were talking earlier on, it's, you know, it'd be something, it'd be foolish to not keep it as it is, I think. You know, traditional... Everybody can, you know, look at the history about it all. You know, I think it'd be great to keep it as as real, really, as we could. But obviously, you know, times change. Yeah, when when you're talking about the mustiness and how it's run down and everything, I think the the club do have plans of sort of readdressing what they're going to do with this to do something with it to keep the history of the club. Um, but this has not really changed at all. The kitchen was always there. You used to have to queue up there, and Teresa. Ran, I remember Teresa. Yeah, she yeah. ran the uh, show. Uh, but the only thing was, there was like a, a petition down there, which was a bit like a pantry, and it had a hatch as well, uh, just there. So they've, they've obviously opened that up. That, that's the only thing that's changed. Otherwise, everything else is exactly the same. What was the hierarchy of uh, sitting down at the tables? Was there any, or did everybody just sit? No, wherever? there was just one staff table, so nobody could go on the staff table. But uh, if you come up and the young boys, the, you know, the apprentices, if they were in, or the reserve lads, and that, 
if there was a couple of seats there, the first team would just sit down with them, you know, and you'd send them to get you a cup of tea or a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Educate so I think them. There was only one, Educate. one time, I think, when, the, when the, the staff actually used to used to serve us, wasn't it? Christmas, Christmas Day would come in. Christmas Day, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you could get your own back, really, on the staff by asking for extra stuff. And be like, yeah, no problem. So, you know, as you say, you get your food, you go and sit down. But Christmas Day, <laughs> you know, all the lads would be sat down and then the staff would then come out and serve serve all the players. So Yeah, the staff were really nice. good about it as well, though. But you, you used to drive them crazy because you, you'd go, um, oh, by the way, no Brussels sprouts, uh, no, no carrots on. And then they'd come across and you go, uh, i tell you what, I will have carrots. <laughs> <laughs> so they got to go back and get carrots. Harry Carrison used to look at me and he used to, I, I knew he wanted to smash me really. <laughs> but you just wind them up saying, saying that you wanted something else to make them go up and get it for you. Those traditions so, were so special, aren't they? I know that Sir Alex carried those on basically uh, until well, the end as well. You, you had that, but right, right from where I was here, I mean, the, the kids having to do a pantomime. Yeah. And all that that was brilliant. Like uh, <laughs> some of the states, I mean, I, I've seen the young lads in nappies and everything. <laughs> like, <laughs> so they, there used to be some great banter. Like, not about it. It's a pity we hadn't actually filmed it when when the lads had really? to do it. No, I don't know whether that is a pity or not. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, as a club, we could cut what we needed to cut yeah, out, exactly. but we could, we could have put some hilarious <laughs> stuff in there. Did it ever go wrong? Did people ever not find the funny side? Oh, some of the young boys, because you've got to remember, they were sort of 17 year yeah, old, uh, 17, 18. Uh, and so they were really nervous about doing it because sometimes they had to sing and all that, where they've never sang in their life like, and don't like singing. No, well, you've got to do it. That's your role. Um, it was all good fun. Yeah, so, nothing, yeah nothing, it was always never, great fun. Never malicious. Oh, just good fun. But Maisie, uh, you're bound to have started a food fight in here. Like, I don't know any stories, but... No, I, I mean, I, I bet you people think, yeah, young lads and all that sort of thing, you'd get into that. Well, you would get a and a half, not just off the gaffer, but the staff. The staff would go crazy if you made a mess like that. Would you sit with the same people every day? No. In my days, everybody just moved Mucked around together, it's, yeah. it's where, when you got out the shower and you you come up it's just whoever's there and you'd obviously sit more with the senior players than what you would with the reserves and the apprentices but I, I mean like I used to know when the gaffer the gaffer had come in and the young boys all of a sudden the young boys would be like that and a few, on a few occasions the, the gaffer would go you where were you last night I've heard I've heard you were out weren't you and you go, no, Gaffer, honestly, I wasn't out. I wasn't out. Yeah, you were. You were at the local pub, weren't you? Anyway, go and get me a cup of tea. And I'd go, where's he going? Nah, he says, I haven't got a clue where he was. <laughs> <laughs> they, must have, uh, they must have been a bit like that with you. Like, for the, the, the much younger players, like you're Brian Robson walking around, captain of Manchester United, you must have felt that sometimes, like if you went into a room with some of them. I know sometimes the young boys would be really good because they'd walk in and before they'd get the lunch, if we'd sat down and had our lunch and you want a pot of tea because there's a few of the boys want a cup of tea and that, you'd say to them, just get a pot of tea, five cups, six cups, and the young lads would always do it. But see, that's how I was brought up at West Brom and I thought it should respect to the senior players um, it disciplines you that you're not big enough that you can't do that and go and get somebody a cup of tea. You know, so I, I think that's good ground and, and, you know, it should still go on. Not that you're bullying kids to do it, because if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it, but you can go, well, that's a good character, isn't it? You know, he thinks he's too big to go and get first-team players a pot of tea. Did you ever have a word with any players? Did you ever feel like the responsibility of captaincy to see, like, academy players and think, he's messing up, I'm going to tell him? I know you definitely do. You know, if you see in discipline with the kids and you're a senior player, then you tell them straight. You go, there's no room for that in this club. You've got to grow up the right ways and they've got to respect furniture, the things like we were talking about with Helen there about food and all that sort of thing. They've got to respect that. And if they're making a hell of a mess, it's other people who've got to clean it up. That makes sense. Quick question, because over in the corner is a dartboard. The underside of the wall 
is completely destroyed. Did you two ever have a go? Should we have a look to see if it's still oh, in there? Think we ever had it. I think that's just been added over the last few years. Oh, you never had this one? Yeah, honestly, I, I can't. I can't remember a dartboard being there and I, I know why really I mean if we had darts in here Incy would be throwing them into people's backsides and things like that he would <laughs> somebody's got a really bad shot because they've actually smashed the window above it <laughs> okay, over here actually there's a big I guess it's a big poster uh, full of information for people that maybe would be coming for the first time or I guess just to inspire people who are here now that are maybe younger and interested and down here we have a picture of a young Brian Robson playing just outside. Brian, do you remember this? And do you know what's going on? Yeah, I, I played it on a few occasions in the Lancashire A-League with the youth team because uh, I was coming back from injury and the boss on a few occasions just asked me. Uh, but that was good because, you know, I experienced playing with, you know, the Nevilles and Giggsy and Scholesy and all that just before they came into the, the first team squad. If I had a go at them or whatever, not that you had to, because they were winning games 2, 3, 4 nil all the time. Uh, they were that successful. Uh, but that, that's a good experience for me as well, because you, you hope that you've helped the kids, uh, you know, in, in a, the few games that I did actually playing. Um, do you want to go to the gym then? We'll go through the physio room first uh, to the gym. Brian, you can lead the way because you... Well, Dave, you can. Go on, Dave. Right, we're in the medical room, which I think this Biggest is the room so far. Yeah, also the only room that's carpeted. Well, the carpet smells. New, I'm sure. It's the strongest smell in here, isn't it? Mm. I would say. A little say. bit fusty yeah. is what you would say. It all used to be tiles. It's just so they put this in for whatever. Yeah. Keep your feet warm. Yeah, it was. It was always tiles with us, wasn't it? But then there was always uh, three, three treatment uh, beds when, when I first come. Yeah, four. Um, yeah. Yes. Two and two. Yeah. This used to be. The gossip room. Yeah. You used to. Everybody, you get changed yeah. to come up here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even the canteen, you you didn't really tell stories and that, but for whatever reason, you used to come in here and all of a sudden you hear all the stories coming out of what the so lads did over the weekend. Yeah. And what they did. <laughs> That's because the manager was further away from here. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. How often would you be in here? You come up here every day. As yeah, more or less because, you know, when I brought my uncle when I was at West Brom, like, I needed a strapping every day. So you'd come up here to get your strappings on and all that before you went for a cup of tea in the canteen. Seems like the most sensible place to ask. What's it like coping with injuries? Because certainly, Robbo, in your last few years at United, your game time was restricted. No, because I wasn't really injured that many times. Sort of like uh, that, that was because the gaffer had brought Keeney in and so I knew, you know, Incy was 22, Keeney was 21. Uh, so I knew it was going to be difficult for me to get in into the team round that, that time unless one of them two was injured. No, the, the, the thing is, when you, when you do get in, I mean, when I snapped my Achilles in the 1990 World Cup, uh, come back, had a couple of operations because the first one uh, didn't fix it. The frustrating thing about this and your training here is that you're on a bed getting treatment and you're watching the lads train out there. That's the hard thing because all you want to do is train, be out, there with, lads, be out yeah. there with the banter and all that with the lads, but you're not, you're stuck in here for months. Did you enjoy training? Yeah, I love training. I mean, Training's you just do. Yeah. Because of the crack you can have. Well, you, you have the crack, Dave, yeah. don't you? But there's no pressure on it neither. I mean, there's pressure from the manager and the, the coaching staff because they want you to train like you play. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's enjoyable because there's no pressure on you. You're just playing five-a-sides every day with your friends, aren't you? Yeah, you'd be doing <laughs> little boxes. Yeah, shooting, boxing, boxes, yeah. Just, I mean, from what, getting in at half 10 till 12 o'clock, quarter past 12, you know, that you'd be out there training, doing something that you love. And everything's just geared for the Saturday or the Wednesday, you know, whenever you played. And was the gym compulsory or did you just choose to go in there if you wanted? When I first came, it was... Uh, just if you wanted to go in yeah. and and use the the gym, you could go in. But no, it wasn't compulsory. But towards the end of my career, then like kiddo would try and get you to do a set routine. Yeah, you know, of weights just to strengthen certain parts of your body. After training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Schools, they never stayed around for that though, did they? Did Scalzi he even stay for his? He never stayed no, for lunch, did they? No. Schools have been like Sparky. <laughs> well, well, it was Sparky <laughs> running. Scholesy. Clayton Blackmore. They're the only three players that I've seen. 
just do not do a warm up. Like they just muck about like warm up, yeah. warm ups and warm downs. They just did not do. They just go out there and just Smash lash balls. a ball. Did that annoy you? Uh, no, it didn't annoy me because you got to do what's right for your own body. But uh, those three could just go out and belt a ball. If I if I did that, I'd probably pull a thigh muscle every month. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so true. Should we have a little look at the gym because it's just through that door, isn't it? Yeah. So this is the gym. It's not big at all, is it? No. So when you were asking earlier when Salix first came into the club, you know, what did he do? He had us all sitting down there, the first team, the reserves, uh, the YTS boys. Uh, everybody was sitting in the gym and uh, the gaffer was standing here. Archie was behind him. And it was as simple as that. He just went, uh, you've all got a chance. You've got to prove yourselves. Let's go out and train. And it was as simple as that. Mm -hmm. The gym's actually, it's the most modern part in here. And although this isn't the most modern gym I've ever seen, it looks very much like what you would see maybe in like a school gym or a university yeah. gym. It's like a classic sort of pine floor and then just a load of machines. I'm Which guessing. I'm sure have yeah, yeah they sure weren't here before, I guess. A no, bit newer than this. These sort, these sort of machines were not here uh, when I first came. So have a little walk down the stairs then. Who was the laziest in the gym, Maisie? Pally. Pally. Palliot, Brian McClare. I can't imagine you liking the gym very much. No, I didn't like it myself. No, but I've spent many times in there. Hey, so. you don't get muscles like that from not working <laughs> hard in the gym. Underneath this, you know, there is a six-pack. <laughs> so was there ever a player, you were saying, Brian, when you um, first came, it wasn't compulsory. Was there ever players that were in here every day, though? Yeah, there was a few lads, people like Ray Wilton, Stevie Koppel, and that, they liked to come in the gym. You know, press-ups and all that sort of thing, sit-ups and all that. There's quite a few of the boys were like that rather than machines. <laughs> One of the things which was so simple, and the lads used to love it because they'd see how high you could get. There was like a string and you could pull the rope and there was a ball on it. And so you'd run and practice heading the ball. And ball just, but everybody was trying to see who could get the highest, like, you know. And, uh, so the lads would have competitions as simple as that rather than all the great machines that the lads have nowadays. Yeah. It's so different now though, isn't it? Modern football, like every player I'm sure has a gym programme. Yeah. But for you, so it was just if you wanted to or not. Well, do when you look at Carrington and what, there's about 60 bikes in there for people to sort of warm up uh, and go and warm down if they want to. You know, where in here, we, I think we had one, one or two. We used to have a guy who used to come in, Trevor Lee, he was... Um nutritionist you know, measure your body fat and you know your weight every week Pally and Brucey used to go hiding yeah yeah they couldn't get the calipers on Brucey and Pally <laughs> but that, that was that was it and you know you used to tell us about your diets and all that sort of stuff that you know we'd never even think about it did you just... ask that Robert would they ask about your diet because yeah. you said about Fergie asking you not to drink and stuff yeah so you know I, I was quite good at West Brom an older guy uh, I got really friendly with him when I was staying in Diggs and he had the best Italian restaurant in uh, Birmingham. Right, he used to do fantastic pasta, and so without even knowing it, my diet was pretty good for, for being a footballer. Basically, you were ahead of the game then, Brian. Making yeah. friends with Italians and eating pasta, yeah. and that's what everybody does. That, that, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, so, but, you, you know, when, when we're talking about basics in the gym, I, I mean, I remember Archie Knox or Kiddo, and that they would come in here, and they'd set you a circuit rather than do big weights and machines and all that. So, I mean, I don't know if kids even see them nowadays. Medicine balls. Medicine balls. Oh, and Andre used to do keepy-ups with a five-kilo <laughs> medicine ball. Yeah. Like. Your toe, you're out for a few <laughs> weeks, Andre really. And Andre reel off 50 keepy-ups with it. Well, when, it, when I was at West Brom, and like I, we didn't do it here when I came here, but when you're in the first team, you used to have to put your hands behind your head, lay on the ground, and your mate used to have the medicine ball and go <laughs> and <laughs> throw on your stomach. Yeah. And, and, and so like, so like strengthen your stomach muscles. And so they used to do that. And you used to go, <laughs> Work them. So things like that. And then you'd have a bench and you'd, you'd just do like a minute on the bench, but you had to just step up and yeah. step off. And, and so you had all that rather than all these modern machines and that. So it was routines like that that you used to do. 
skipping ropes. Well, there's no chance you're going to throw that on. I've just found a medicine. Yeah, so you're going to head it back. Yeah. Should we test those out? It's only a little no. one. But no, you must I remember the brown leather ones, yeah. the big brown leather ones. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. We used to have those. Yeah, yeah that's the one, the big brown leather yeah. ones. Yeah. That's how... it's got there's a bit of weight to it. That's a shot oh, put. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's only a little in that. Do you try and compete with Andre's keepy ups? Not a chance. Not a chance. That's not heavy, that. Honest. You keep it up all day. It was mental. But Robbo was right, you know, you, you drop that on your stomach. I don't actually know if it actually works because you don't see anybody doing it now. <laughs> no. The fact that you just have a big red <laughs> yeah. mark on your stomach. Maybe that's and a sign that it. it didn't work yeah. then. Nobody's doing it now. Yeah, but you can imagine. It'd be like yeah. a boxer getting punched so yeah, many to times get ready. in the stomach to get ready. So we've just come into the boot room, which is a lot smaller than what I anticipated. You know why it's a lot smaller? Because in our days, players had two pairs of boots mm. and that's all you would have. And they had to last you the whole of the season. Otherwise, you had to buy your own pair. <laughs> um, where the lads now, what, they have 12, 15 weeks, pairs of boots. Okay. But uh, that, that reminds me because in our days, everybody wore aluminium studs or even the old, did you, the wooden, wooden studs ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. in that deal. Yeah. So what they had to do, they had to vice your boot in there and then pull the inset out and put a new inset in. Yeah. And so that's what that was for. And that's still yeah. there, yeah. the same place. Yeah, whenever still, you were here. Still that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I never knew they were wooden studs. Were they useful? They sound terrible. Look, honestly, they were brilliant. Yeah, if you were playing on sort of like snow, uh, but it was a little bit hard, yeah. because what like would happen? Cork. Uh, yeah, but the the bottom of the cork, cork would wear off really quickly within the game, and so what you got, you got four nails. So, so if you caught anybody, like you'd you'd, you'd like split their ankle <laughs> and all that. So really good for tackling. <laughs> What was the hierarchy in here? If you just joined the club, was there a certain place for your boots? Like, did you have the best spot for your boots, Brian? No, no, no not really. I think um, looking at the wall, you can see where all the all the hooks would have been. Did you have boots. the same yeah. spot though every the, day? There were, yeah, there were like boxes, so there was all boxes on on the wall, and so you'd put your boots into the into the boxes, yeah. but then. The apprentices that they would have to come in here, but then I heard the story. I thought Bex. He said, "I I thought it was I was his favourite player." So Bex, when he when he came into the club, wanted to clean my boots, so he cleaned the boots. And I always thought that's what it was because I was his favourite player. You're going to say it, it wasn't. Honest. No, it's, it's because at Christmas I give the best tip, and he'd heard it from the lads who were apprentices before. I give the best tips, and that's the only reason why he wanted to clean my boots. What was a good tip back then? Uh, what was a good Christmas tip? Fifty quid. Mm. Yeah, fifty pound. Not bad, is it? No, it's not bad in them days. Lads' wages. Yeah. No, that'd be, that'd be the same as Robbo. You know, forty, fifty quid. Depending on how, how well he looked after you. But it always seemed to, coming up to Christmas, you, your boots will be absolutely immaculate. Yeah. You know, and then just as after Christmas, once you give the tips out, they deteriorate again in a bit. Yeah, after the Christmas, it'd be yeah. f***ed yeah. yeah. Was that every morning they used to clean your boots? Yeah. Because you, you, you had your training boots as well. Mm -hmm. So they had to clean them. All your match boots would probably be over it. At the ground stadium. And that's yeah, what they would to be fair, I always used to clean my own boots, my match boots. Uh, but in training, I'd always let the YTS boys uh, clean them. It's part of what, when I, when I was growing up, I took pride in cleaning. I think I had three professionals I had to look after. So it was my, it was my little bit of pride of making sure that the kit was there, the boots were spotless, you know, the balls were cleaned every day. I had to scrub the balls to make them, get them back to white. So it was, Robo mentioned it earlier on about, you know, doing things that are right, getting in that structure in your life of making things are right. And, you know, you had that little bit of pride of, you know, going out there looking smart and representing the club. Okay, so we're now walking into the dressing room here at the Cliff. We've turned it this afternoon into our podcast recording booth. It's where we're going to have a nice big chat with the guys. But first, where did you guys sit? Well, I sat over there. And I sat just there. So right in the middle, sort of facing uh, everybody. Yeah, uh, I, had, I had Pally on my left and... I think it was Paul Parker on my right. Before we sit down, should we have a quick look at this massive bath? Because I've just through a little doorway. Pictures, yeah. Some great pictures from that bath, isn't there? You can tell you walked through the toilet to get to your bath and the showers. <laughs> so the hygiene was really good. <laughs> Do you know what that? From 26 years ago when I was here, it's not changed one bit. 
Exa exactly. Exactly. The, the, the two big taps. I think. I think they sort of looked at knocking this out over the years, but then I think everybody came to the decision: Hey, this is a cliff training ground. It's got the history and everything, and that. Let, let's leave the bath until we know exactly yeah. what we're going to do uh, with the building and with the cliff. Yeah. Well, there are showers here. Were you a bath or a shower guy? Uh, always soaked in the bath first. Yeah. But then because of like what we floating 18, 20, 18, 20 footballers in the same bath. Uh, you used to get out the bath and then have a shower. <laughs> and who used to go in this little single bath here? Cantina. He used to he used to yeah. capture that all the time. Uh, that was his bath in the end. When I first came as well, uh, Martin Buchan, because uh, he was captain like when I first came in the club, and that was Martin's bath. I'm no, telling nobody... you, that bath would go for some money nowadays, yeah. I'm sure. Well, <laughs> how did Cantona get it? How did it become his? Because uh, Eric just loved to soak in the bath, and he wasn't bothered about being last away from the training ground, where a lot of the lads, they had kids, and that, so we were soaking the bath for... Uh, 10 minutes and that, then have a quick shower, go upstairs, have a bite to eat and get back. So then you make sure you're back to pick the kids up from school. It is exactly, honestly, God, it's exactly the same. Everything about it is so strange looking back. I thought you were going to turn the shower on me. No, I won't do that. I won't do that. But what you would do, though, you'd, if you were sat there shampooing your hair and you've got a nice temperature, you would just was it down to freezing cold. <laughs> Anybody a good victim for that? Everybody. Anybody, everyone's a victim. Everyone's a target. <laughs> Maisie, always the troublemaker, never change. There we are. That was part one of our chat with Robbo. I absolutely loved hearing those old stories. That was just brilliant. It was. The, the building had like a proper aura about it, didn't it? Like going into Sir Alex Ferguson and Sir Matt Busby's former office was amazing. Seeing a bath in the corner was then sort of surreal. Strange, isn't it? Mm. It is. But that's exactly how it was. It's not changed at all, one bit. Even the bath in the changing rooms, just exactly the same. Some great stories there from Robbo. Was there anything that you hadn't heard before? or um, The one about the gaffer with Inse. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. That was fantastic. That was brilliant. Yes, that is absolutely brilliant. Really is. For those that enjoyed that story as well, keep your eyes on the app because although obviously while you're listening, you can't see it, but we did have some cameras there and Robbo was acting that out. He was hiding behind the door, pretending he had a gun and he just sort of jumped out of the door as he explained the story and you should be able to see that if you get yourself on the app. And we've also, of course, got part two of Robbo, which mm -hmm. is the very next thing we're doing. Uh, after he gave us our tour, we sat down in the old dressing room and uh, we just got into it, didn't we? All about his career, the highs, the lows, management, United, everything. We could have talked for about four hours. Uh, quite easy. Quite in fact, easy. I'm sure we talked for nearly four hours. Sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the fact is, as well, you've got Robbo joined in 81. Mm -hmm. I think we, we left the cliff in 97, 98. So it's like 17 years, 16, 17 years of coverage yeah. at the cliff. Good memories of it. Yeah, all right. So keep an eye out for that. That's coming in just a few days. And then after that, we'll have our next big guest for you. No spoilers, though. It's Dimitar Berbatov. <laughs> Okay, so that was it, our very first podcast episode. The next episode, our second part of Brian Robson at the Cliff, will be available later this week, so make sure you subscribe now so that drops into your podcast app as soon as we publish it. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love you to leave a review. That's it. Bye for now. Bye. See you later.